After the issues they experienced at Ruby Ridge, the ATF was desperate to improve their reputation, which had been badly damaged by the media and right-wing extremist groups. Their next focus, the Branch Davidians, who the ATF believed were stockpiling firearms, abusing children, and possibly even running a meth lab at their facility known as Mount Carmel, located in Waco, Texas. What followed was a 51-day standoff that ended in a violent, deadly siege. Today, we'll take a look at both sides, the federal government and the Branch Davidians, and discuss the mistakes made and how this standoff could have ended much differently. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought Lamb of God was just a great metal band, stick around. This Lamb of God also ran a pretty wild cult down in Texas once upon a time. This is Necronomapod. This is David Koresh. Okay, David. The Notorious. What you guys do that for? Well, David, what, this, what I'm doing is I'm trying to establish some community, communication links with no, you. No, 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 let me tell you something. Yes, sir. You see, you brought a bunch of guys out here and you killed some of my children. We told you we wanted to talk. No, how come you guys try to be ATF agents? How come you try to be so big all the time? Okay, David. Now, there's a bunch of us dead and a bunch of you guys dead. Now, now that's your fault. Okay, let, let's try to resolve this now. Tell me this. Now, you have casualties. How many casualties? Do you want to try to work something out? ATF is pulling back. Yeah, you pull your guys out, and I want to talk. All right, I don't care who goes first. I want hot takes only. A food or foods that are popular that you guys think are overrated as hell. And I gave you guys a fair... Go ahead. Ian, you... Lasagna. Lasagna. Wow. Mike hates lasagna, too. I hate lasagna. High five from the other side of Cleveland. Boom. It's it's just a (laughs) soggy, giant noodled mess. Oh, my God. I do not need lasagna. Not at my house. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good that's a good one, Ian, because I would have that wasn't even on my list. But I do. uh, I do despise lasagna. Wow. He came out firing with that one. And now we, we've lost our Italian fan base, so there goes that. Mm. All, four, all four of them. <laughs> well, we're about to lose our Mexican fan base because I do not like Mexican food. Wow, you're going a whole genre of food. <laughs> oh, damn. A whole ethnic cuisine. Like, I will never, if anyone suggests, you know, where to go out yeah. for dinner, I will never suggest going out for Mexican. Mm. I, I don't I, like it. I have to be in a specific mood for Mexican. Mm. Like, I'm not just always ready for it, but I do love Mexican Everyone food. loves it. You all, tamale. Well, it's just, I don't like it at all. I will well, always. But to be clear, you do love some Taco Bell. You'll get your cheesy gordita crunch. Well, supreme. sure. Well, sure. <laughs> like tamales. What else do they have there? Burros and. Oh, man. I mean, you could just, get, a, you could just get some burritos or tacos. Just, like, I like street tacos, some I burritos. I don't like Mexican wow. food. So we've pissed off Italians and Mexicans all in. I like, just, I like Mexicans. I just don't like the Mexican food. Mine, I have two. One, just in general, sweets. I think sweets are overrated. I don't know why you'd want sweet when you can have savory. I don't eat sweets either. Yeah. Like, why have, a, why have ice cream when you can have a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos? I 100% am with you. Yeah. And then, um, this is not a popular one, I think, and I like them, but they are extremely overrated, and that is French fries. Overrated food. Interesting. I will almost always mm. substitute French fries for any other side dish when I can. Hmm. Sometimes I'm in the mood for fries, but it... Typically, no. And for as much as I eat fast food, that's all. That's the you know the main the standby uh, you know accompaniment for your, for your Wendy's triple. 
You well, go you go a different direction. I love the when I I go extra beef. I get <laughs> I get the Wendy's triple and a, and a side of chili, and I just had the fucking greatest sleep of all time after hmm. that. What if they're called Freedom Fries? Does that make them better? Well, mind? absolutely. Oh, this is okay. America. Sure, I'm not gonna eat fucking French fries. <laughs> I'll eat Freedom Fries. All right. Also, for the record, Wendy's fries are absolute garbage. They're, they're, they're trash. Not, they're not great. They're trash. Yeah, they're not. They're not good. When we're talking normal fries, unseasoned, because like Arby's is fantastic. Rallies is fantastic. I think McDonald's just for regular French fries might be the best of the fast foods. Yeah, yeah they are for sure. And also, people go nuts about waffle fries. They're not any better because they're in a waffle shape. I like waffle fries. But they're, I mean, they're okay, but they're not better because they're in a waffle I shape. I think maybe they are. I don't think they are, unless you get the cheese dipping sauce. A lot of them come with cheese dipping sauce, but then you're, you know, it's a whole different ball game. You're the expert, though. I'm just, I'm just. Well, I'm letting know. people know French fries. No, thank you. Hmm. Keep your lasagna. Uh, keep your French fries. An interesting hot take. Give me chili dogs and diet Millers. I'm more concerned about this hot take on candy that's happening right now. Because as you guys know, I love my candy. <laughs> that's right. We, yeah, we I don't really it. eat sweet stuff. I'm I, like popcorn. I mean, I don't uh, eat. Yeah, popcorn. Like every now and then mm. I get a sweet tooth and I'll go to like the gas station and I'll come home with like six candy bars and I will eat them over the course of a day. But I don't do sweets very much. Yeah, I don't either. I'm not a big sweets oh, guy. Man. <laughs> he's getting on. He's going to go, as soon as we're done tomorrow, he's going out for a, a shrimp burrito <laughs> and like all the fucking Snickers he can get. Last week, we uh, we started the trend. We did Ruby Ridge. This week, we're going to turn it up a notch, heading down to Waco, Texas. This one, Ian, you've been pretty hyped about this episode. I heard him off Super mic hyped. earlier. He was like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is no jerking matter, Dave. <laughs> have you guys ever been to Waco? I have not. No. I've been through Waco. Have it's, you? Uh, I've never been to Texas before. Yeah, we talked uh, about Texas a few weeks ago. I like Texas. Well, we, well, I said it was like it's like its own little country down there. Sure is. Yeah. Yeah. I, Texas is all right. It looks just <laughs> like it did in the in the in the Netflix series we watched this That's week. True, and I think it's still trending. And that was by a happy accident. So for anyone who wants a companion piece with this uh, episode. Netflix currently has a Waco miniseries. It's like six episodes, about an hour a piece, uh, a miniseries on Waco that was really good, really intense. And uh, they just happened to put it on Netflix about the same time we had planned to do this show. And hopefully that's good for business. Yeah. Happy accidents, right? Hey. Yep. All right, Ian, what do you got for us? Well, before he was known as David Koresh, Vernon Way Howe was born on August 17th. 1959 in Houston, Texas, to a 14-year-old single mother named Bonnie Sue Clark and father Bobby Wayne Howell. Before Vernon was born, his father met another teenage girl and abandoned Bonnie Sue. Vernon never met his father, and his mother began living with a violent alcoholic. So as a young man growing up in the world, he's off to a pretty good, you know, kind of good start. Some turmoil in here. Yeah. In 1963, Vernon's mother left her boyfriend and placed her four-year-old son in the care of his maternal grandmother, Earlene Clark. His mother returned when he was seven after her marriage to a carpenter named Roy Haddleman. Bonnie Sue and Haddleman had a son together named Roger, who was born in 1966. Vernon described his childhood as lonely. Due to his not doing so well in school and dyslexia, he was put in special education classes and was nicknamed some not very nice mentally challenged names by fellow students because of bullying. I mean, we're, we're not talking just like getting picked. I mean, he was, he was bullied severely. 
being bullied and, and his frustration with classes, Vernon dropped out of Garland High School his junior year. When he was 19 years old, Vernon had an illegal sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl who became pregnant. After this, he claimed to have become a born-again Christian in a Southern Baptist church and soon joined his mother's church, the Seventh-day Adventists. Those guys are pretty hardcore, right? Those Seventh-day Adventists? Oh, yeah. I think we're getting into speaking in tongues territory. Oh, my favorite. Speaking in tongues is good stuff. It's your specialty. We're getting real intense with the Seventh-day Adventists. It's just convenient he also found this just after he uh, you know, started an inappropriate relationship with a 15-year-old, too. <laughs> What better way to to celebrate, you know, (laughs) speaking in tongues, banging a 15-year-old, speaking in tongues. Well, once he got to the Seventh-day Adventists, he became obsessed with the pastor's daughter. And while praying for guidance, he opened his eyes and allegedly found the Bible open to Isaiah 34, 16, stating that, quote, none should want for her mate. Convinced this was a sign from God, he approached the pastor and told him that God wanted him to have his daughter for for a wife. <laughs> <laughs> the pastor threw him out, and he continued to pers- persist, like to go after this, this guy's daughter. And he was expelled from the congregation. He's like, "Come on, preacher! God told me to treat your daughter like a navy ship and fill her full of semen." <laughs> 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 I, w- I want to know how old this pastor's daughter was too. Yeah, that that might have had something to do with it. Where he's like, "What the fuck are you talking?" Like what about? we're not right. ta- what we're not saying is that she was like seven. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, after he was kicked out in 1981, Vernon moved to Waco, Texas, where he joined the Branch Davidians. See, I thought he formed the Branch Davidians. I didn't. I never really knew the backstory on all this. So that's yeah, this might be a. F- yeah, this might be a fun fact for people that, that yeah. never really looked into it because this shit has been going on for a minute before he decided yeah. to to roll in there. Like, so it was like they literally started 60 seconds before and then he joined them? <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh. <laughs> well, you said it had been going on for like a minute. <laughs> the Branch Davidians, they're a religious group that originated in 1955 from a rift in the Shepherd's Rod Davidians following the death of the Shepherd Rod's founder, Victor Hodef. Shepherd Rod. Yeah. Nice I don't know Rod what that means. Shepherd. <laughs> These guys with their fucking names. Hodef founded the Davidians based on his prophecy of an imminent apocalypse, which would involve the second coming of Jesus Christ and the defeat of the evil armies of Babylon. You know, 200,000 years from now, if people are still with this religion nonsense, they're going to be thinking that during their lifetime, there's going to be the second coming of Christ and the world's going to mm-hmm. end. Every, every generation, same if, thing. If people are still with this religious <laughs> nonsense. Hopefully we evolve by that oh, time. Oh, okay. We're not, gotcha. We're, you know, 99% atheist in, in the world. We'll be much you better know, off. <laughs> this, this might be a hot take, but based on this story and, and other... You already hate lasagna, Ian. About, Does it get any worse than that? Well, I feel like whoever, I don't know who wrote the, the Old Testament in the Bible. I don't even know if there is an author behind it. Do you, mean to, sing, do you want me to sing the song again for you to tell you who uh, <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all I know. That's all I remember. I got to study up on my Old Testament. Whoever wrote that shit fucked up mankind for a long time because people have been using that shit to justify some dumb shit for yeah. a very, very long time. It was God, so how dare oh, he you, wrote sir? That? Oh, very true. Well, that's all through God. It's His Word. Well, not I mean, a, not a great, not a great part of the Bible. 
Oh, I mean, why read a bunch as of... As opposed to the good parts? <laughs> yeah, what's the good part? I, I'm just saying. I mean, the, the Jesus stuff is a good part. I mean, if Jesus ever really existed, I mean, he has a good message. It's just his people I don't really I wish, care I for. I wish I could turn water into wine. Motherfuck. <laughs> oh, you much money I'd save? Be fantastic. You don't even have to grow the grapes. Oh. Just turn the tap water on, oh, boom, wine. magic wand. Say well, a few spells like Harry Potter. You got sh- some wine. Imagine how popular it would be with the ladies. Right? Oh, your glass looks full. Touch. Boom. You could adjust the alcohol content based on her current mental state. There you go. Because <laughs> you wouldn't want her to drink too much if she was already... Well, that's what I meant. Lower it. Lower yeah, it. Not right. raise it to right. do stuff to her. Right. Clearly, that's what I meant. <laughs> Remember what, the office where Michael is drinking wine and he, he, like, he sniffs it and he's like, this is a red. <laughs> I mean, I like well, the Bible because why read a bunch of books when you can just read one? That's what I always say. <laughs> I think it's the fifth time you said that. What's well, good advice? <laughs> it simplifies your life for you. Why? Why incorporate all these extra? Why introduce all these extra thoughts into your brain with all these different science gobbledygook books? Just read one book. It's a lot simpler. It's a lot easier. Yeah, it's a lot way. easier. Everything makes sense. It's simple. You don't have to think too much. No argument here, pal. There you go. It's advice from your pal Dave. You're welcome. <laughs> that comes free well, with the show <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you didn't even get to an ad yet you got to hear that for free <laughs> as the original Davidian group gained members its leadership moved the church to a hilltop several miles east of Waco Texas which they named Mount Carmel after a mountain in Israel mentioned in Joshua 19:26 in the Bible's Old Testament I thought it was caramel, like they had Sundays and stuff there. And we go, are we, I knew we were going to do this. Are we getting into this debate right now? What, what, caramel, caramel? Say, I don't really yeah. think I have that debate in me. I don't care either way. It's delicious either which way. I, I, I figured it was going to happen. I'm a caramel. So every, I, say caramel. Say? I say caramel. Okay. What, what do you so say? So then there is no debate. Oh. Okay. It's official. It's caramel. If you say it differently, fuck you. You're wrong. You probably like pineapple on your pizza, too. Hit unsubscribe. Move on. I assume, Ian, down where you're from, they said caramel. Caramel. Yeah, probably, yeah. (laughs) A few years later, they moved again to a much larger site east of the city. In 1959, Victor's widow, Florence Hotef, announced that the expected Armageddon was about to take place and members were told to gather at the center to await this event. (laughs) Any day now. Yeah, that's a ticket. Any day now. (laughs) Many of them built houses, others stayed in tents, trucks, or buses, and most of them sold all of their possessions. Following the failure of this prophecy, control of Mount Carmel fell to Benjamin Roden, founder of the Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Association. He promoted different beliefs than those which were promoted by Victor Hotep's original Shepherd's Rod Davidian Seventh-day Adventist organization. This is very confusing already. Yeah, there's there's a lot happening here, but we're, we're all arguing over... It, it's basically... who we're, we're arguing over who's controlling this organization, for the most part. Yeah. Upon Roden's death, control of the Branch Davidians fell to his wife, Lois Roden. Lois considered their son, George Roden, unfit to assume the position of prophet. Instead, she groomed Vernon to be her successor. Now, keep in mind, Vernon Howell, a.k.a. David Koresh, rolled in here 
and was having an affair with this woman, even though she was like 40 years older than him at the time. Like she was like 70 years old and he was having an affair with her. It's a gilf. So that that very much aided in uh, in her thinking that he was going to be the prophet. This guy's sleeping with chicks much younger than him, much older. He didn't give a fuck. He's the future Lamb of God. He's laying God pipe. She's like, You're, I'm turning this over to you, pal. Well, you know what's funny about that is that there there was a thing where someone accused him of getting Lois Roden pregnant when she was like in her seventies, and he made the offhanded like smartass comment of saying like, "If I could get a woman in her seventies pregnant, I am a god." <laughs> and the media, like when we get into this stuff later on, w- with what inevitably inevitably happens here. The media ran with that that statement of him saying, "I am a god," mm. and and they took it out of context. But he was just being a, a, a asshole about it. They took it as the media twisted it into more of a statement that he is a god. But you know, it'd been awesome if he would have responded, "If I can get a seven year old woman pregnant, imagine what I could do to your wife, Pally." <laughs> That's what I would have said if I were him. I mean, we're going to get into it. That's kind of what he was doing at the same time here. <laughs> I make Grandma Roden come like a Niagara Falls. What do you think I'm going to do to you? <laughs> to you? Oh, boy. In 1984, a meeting led a division of the group, with Vernon leading one faction, calling themselves the Branch Davidians, and George Roden leading a competing faction. After the split, George Roden ran Vernon and his followers off Mount Carmel at gunpoint. <laughs> Following this split, Vernon and his group relocated to Palestine, Texas. After the death of Lois Roden and probate of her estate in January 1987, Vernon attempted to gain control of Mount Carmel. In response, George Roden had dug up the casket of a woman named Anna Hughes from the Davidian Cemetery and had challenged Vernon to a resurrection contest to prove who was the rightful heir to leadership. Basically like a if you're the prophet, you can bring her back to life. This is my Dave, favorite I part challenge, of the story. Dave, I challenge you to an erection contest <laughs> to see who's the rightful leader. Wait, you said erection contest, right, Ian? Dave, you get your blue chew, I get my blue chew, and we do well, battle. You're a much younger man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you this one. I'm much more interested in a resurrection contest at this point. I fear you're underestimating the power of blue chew, pal. They make every man feel like he's twenty. So you think it was like a face, like they were standing next to each other, and it was like kind of like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, false prophets of all ages, let's get ready to raise some dead people. <laughs> Resurrection contest. This is the best. These religious fucking uh, wackos. I would have paid top dollar to watch this and see this play out. 100%. I want to be front row for this resurrection contest. And when they all lose, I take over control of this religious cult <laughs> well spoiler uh <laughs> vernon david koresh whatever i think he was more of a scam artist than anything i don't think he believed his own shit ever really that's an interesting take I, vernon instead of competing in this resurrection contest went to the police actually probably ratted. did the most like sensible thing <laughs> he's ever done yeah and ratted george roden out for uh for corpse abuse <laughs> <laughs> That's the smart move, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine that? Some dude like challenging you and he dug up a dead body and told you to bring it back to life. You're like, yeah, no, I'm trying to I'm trying to run this cult, so I'm just gonna go to the police and uh <laughs> tell on you for what you just did. Yeah. 
George just shot himself in the foot. We're going to take care of him now. Yeah. Uh, but the county prosecutors refused to file charges without proof. And so now, now Vernon's going to step it up a bit. On November 3rd, 1987, Vernon and seven armed members of his group tried to get into the Mount Carmel Chapel with a goal of photographing the body in the casket as evidence <laughs> to incriminate Roden. Roden was informed of this break-in and came running down and opened fire <laughs> on Vernon and, and his like seven members. There's like gunfights going on here. <laughs> the sheriff's department responded about 20 minutes into the gunfight during which Roden had been wounded. Sheriff Harwell got Vernon on the phone and told him to stop the shooting and just surrender. Vernon and his members, which were dubbed the, quote, Rodenville 8 by the media, were tried for attempt of murder on April 12th, 1988. I believe that's a new Quentin Tarantino movie, right? The Rodenville 8. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the dialogue's fantastic. <laughs> I bet you can't resurrect this here, lady. <laughs> Seven were acquitted, and the jury was hung on Vernon's verdict. The county prosecutor didn't push it any further. I, I, I almost feel like the prosecutor in, in this whole thing was probably like, I don't even want to deal with these motherfuckers. Like, yeah. this like, is let them go shoot crazy. each other yeah, out there exactly. and like, fuck them. It's Texas, man. Even with all the effort to bring the casket to court, the standing <laughs> judge. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was a sentence just read on Necronomapod. Can we read that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> Even with all the effort to bring the casket to court, the standing <laughs> judge refused to use it as evidence in the case. Judge Herman Fitz ruled that the courtroom is no place for a casket when defense attorney Jerry Coker requested it be used as evidence for the case. During questions about the said casket, Roden admitted to attempting to resurrect Ann Hughes on three separate occasions. I guess it didn't work, right? False profit alert. <laughs> yeah. While waiting for trial, Roden was put in jail under contempt of court charges because of his use of foul language in some of the court proceedings. He threatened the Texas court with sexually transmitted diseases if the court ruled in Vernon's favor alongside these... <laughs> you know what? I'm fitting to give you all clamity if you let this boy out of jail. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. <laughs> Fucking cult wars in Texas. I'm going to give you clam media. <laughs> Alongside these charges, Rodin was jailed for six months for illegal motions. He filed with explicit language. So he was he was writing some documents telling everybody to go fuck themselves. He's <laughs> the potty mouth preacher, this guy. I'm not going to lie. I kind of dig him a little bit. Like, just kind of want to fuck off. I'm going to give you STDs. I'm going to spray gonorrhea yeah. all you know over why? the jury. I want that cult. cult, uh, cult. I want that one. Oh, Roden faced 90 days in jail for living on the property after being ordered to neither live on the property nor call himself the leader of a religious group in regarding this 1979 case. The next day, Perry Jones and a number of Vernon's followers moved from their headquarters in Palestine, Texas to Mount Carmel. Caramel. Mount Caramel. Yeah. <laughs> and just to follow up on, on what happened to George Roden in 1989... George Roden used an axe to kill a Davidian named Wayman Dale Adair, who visited him to, to discuss Adair's vision of being God's chosen Messiah. He was found guilty under an insanity defense and was committed to a mental hospital. 
Shortly after Roden's commitment, Vernon raised the money to pay off all the back taxes on Mount Carmel owed by Roden and took legal control of the property. Goddamn, cult wars, man. Vernon yeah. played it right, though. Vernon came out on top. Yeah, he didn't get involved in that little resurrection scheme. And it's like, I see your game here. I ain't resurrecting nobody. <laughs> Could you? That's the thing. I feel like that's the thing between a, a successful cult leader and a complete fucking crazy person. Mm-hmm. A successful cult leader knows the scheme and knows the scam. They're not going to play into that shit. Right, because so you're of, not going so to resurrect course. a dead body, so you right. don't, so you of don't course say. He's like, yeah, I'm not yeah. doing that. Yeah. Right. Well, you got to be smart enough to be able to manipulate all these people. Wow. So, I mean, you're, you're not, these guys aren't dumb, clearly. Hide your weaknesses, right. accentuate your strengths. Yeah, for sure. On August 5th, 1989, Vernon released the, quote, New Light audio tape in which he said that he had been told by God to procreate with women in the group to establish a, quote, House of David, of his special people. This involved separating married couples in the group who had agreed that only he could have sexual relations with the wives while the men should observe celibacy. Vernon also said that God had told him to start building a quote, army of God to prepare for the end days and a salvation of his followers. Now <laughs> it's, it's real convenient with all these cult leaders, how they're the only ones allowed to have sex with multiple people. It's very time. convenient. I mean, that, that, yeah, it's a running theme with all these guys. I laughed out loud watching that miniseries when he's like, yeah, I agreed to take on that burden of, <laughs> right. of fucking all your wives. <laughs> right. So who's so who's running his fuck schedule? Mm. He is. He's, he's running, running his own. Well, oh, yeah. see, you'd avoid but all the government's uh, involvement if you had mugs running the show, I think. He could have shielded well, he, him. Like I said, it's, it's super convenient that these guys, all these guys do this with the sex thing. It's a, it's a huge part of it. But he put like an extra twist on it with, and we're going to get into the seven seals here in a second in the book of Revelations. But the book of Revelation says that at the end times that there's going to be 24 elders that sit and judge mankind during the apocalypse. And so his thought process was that he needed to have 24 wives to produce 24 separate children. And those 24 children would be the ones that sat and judged mankind at the end of everything. Oh, sure. That's logical. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Thanks for explaining it, Ian. Now I now I understand it a little better. And you accept it? Yeah. As truth? I mean, no, why not? <laughs> Makes as much sense as anything else, right? <laughs> Got to have some game to talk all these guys to come down there and give them your wives, right? You Makes sense something, to me. Man. Vernon also focused heavily on the seven seals, like we just kind of briefly brought up. In the book of Revelations, the seven seals of God are the seven symbolic seals that secure the book or scroll that John of Patmos saw in an apocalyptic vision. The opening of the seals of the document occurs in Revelation chapters 5 through 8 and marks the second coming of Christ and the beginning of the apocalypse. The only one worthy of opening the book or scrolls is referred to as both the, quote, Lion of Judah and the, quote, Lamb having seven horns and seven eyes. Vernon would claim that he was the Lamb of God that could unseal these seven seals during the second coming. Well, he was the chosen one. Makes sense, he's right? The, he's the Lamb of God. Well, That's basically I, what, we're, what we're saying. <laughs> the logic is undeniable. It makes perfect sense to me. I mean, the guy that finished ninth grade in Texas in the 80s? I mean, who else would it be? Clearly, he knows everything. <laughs> He's a scholar, Ian. Yeah, 
He's something. Vernon filed a petition in the California State Superior Court in Pomona on May 15th, 1990 to legally change his name for, quote, publicity and business purposes to David Koresh. And on August 28th, he was granted the petition. So where'd the, the Koresh thing come from? So Koresh is a Hebrew name. Mm. And it's it's like a flip on it with like the House of David thing. But then he throws in the last name Koresh, and it, it's it's a Hebrew name that's kind of like a, a flip to referring to Cyrus the Great. Mm. Is it true that his rap name was Fresh Koresh? <laughs> if you want to go to heaven at the end of your lives, then you better come down here and let me impregnate your wives. <laughs> Is this like David Koresh slam poetry? Yeah, or? for sure. <laughs> I think that was number one on TRL for yeah, a few years Fresh back Koresh. in the 90s. Fresh Koresh. <laughs> DJ Fresh Koresh. Coming to a town near you. <laughs> Coming in a wife near you. <laughs> This is super interesting with David Koresh because you you see hints of this through his story, but you know we're gonna get into the whole raid and all the shit, and then it's it's gonna flip from like this cult story to now we're gonna be debating like what's right and wrong for the government to do, but just basing it off the cult aspect of it, it it's interesting to see what he does from very early on. He's challenged with this guy. That says that he can bring people back from the dead. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to call the police on you because I'm going to take control of this cult. And you're fucking crazy <laughs> for doing that. Mm-hmm. And then he changes his name and he he lists it as for publicity and business purposes. He knows goddamn well what he's doing. He's a smart guy, clearly. He knows what he knows the laws of what he's doing. We're going to see that through. We're going to see that when he starts marrying girls that are underage. And we're going to see it with the gun things. He crosses all the T's and dots, all the I's legally. He knows goddamn well what he's trying to do here. But I think it really points, because he convinces people that David Koresh, that name, that means something. But behind the scenes, legally, it's for publicity and business purposes. Yeah. By 1992, most of the land belonging to the group had been sold except for a core of 77 acres. Most of the buildings had been removed or were being salvaged for construction materials to convert much of the main chapel and water tank into apartments for residents of the group. Many of the members of the group had been involved with the Davidians for a few generations at this point, and many had large families. But, like, they had no running water, right? Huh? No, they had nothing out there. Can you imagine living like that? I mean, for generations? Oof. They were loving it. I mean, as much as you it, guys like camping, right? Brutal. Like That would be right up your alley. I love it so much, being outside, <laughs> feeling dirty all the time. It's the best. It's the best thing in the world. The initial investigation by the ATF into the Branch Davidians began in June of 1992 when a postal worker informed a sheriff of McClellan County in May of 1992 that he believed he had been delivering explosives to the ammo and gun store owned and operated by the Branch Davidians. Because that's how they made their money is they 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 owned a gun store. Was it on site at the at Mount Carmel, the actual retail gun store? No, it was off site. It right. was in, it was actually in Waco. It wasn't at Mar- mm. Mount Carmel. Now we talked about last week how Ruby Ridge was an absolute shit show, and it it was the FBI's fault. The FBI sniper is the one who killed Vicky Weaver. 
it was mainly the FBI who did all the really, really aggressive things in Ruby Ridge that were questioned, but they pushed it back and flipped it and blamed it all on the ATF. So at this point, the ATF was really looking for a way to save their asses in the situation because they were they were facing, you know, getting defunded by the government. I mean, there was a lot of things at play here because of Ruby Ridge. Yeah. Uh, President Clinton was very upset with it, among a lot of other people. So there was a lot of talk about taking money away from the ATF and all this stuff. So they needed to, to win. Phase, they needed a win here. They needed a win. And they thought they found their win when they heard about these explosives being delivered to Mount, to Mount Carmel. So they decided to launch this investigation into the Branch Davidians. You know, this was portrayed pretty as pretty very deliberate in this miniseries we've been talking about. I, I just hope it wasn't that deliberate as portrayed. I, I suspect it was, though. It, it very much was because this whole branch Davidian, yeah, situation seems to have been a non-starter. Like, not much was going on down there. Like, you know, I think I a lot of people in Texas probably have machine guns out out in the desert here. This does not seem to be worthy of the ATF uh, and and everything that follows here. I think from what we're going to talk about going forward with this, this is this is going to be like this back and forth conversation of yes, David Koresh was a piece of shit. But the Branch Davidians didn't deserve what happened in this situation at all. And this was the government trying to save face for what we talked about last week in, in Ruby Ridge. That's a terrible thing, if that's if that's true. Yeah. The ATF began surveillance from a house across the road from Mount Carmel several months before the siege. Their cover was noticeably bad as, quote, college students. They were in their 30s, had new cars, <laughs> were not registered in local schools, and did not keep a schedule that would have fit any legitimate employment or classes. Maybe not their uh, best start to no, this investigation. No, hey, let's go. Hey, let's go send Dave over and he'll be our college student, you know, <laughs> investigating them. Hey, come on, man. What are you saying? Like in, the, in the show, they portray him as ranchers, which is equally as bad. Like, I yeah. feel like they get that point across because... In, in the show, David Koresh asks him some like real like rancher slang questions. <laughs> right, and the guy right, has right. no idea. It's like, yeah, my other buddy, he's the real ranch expert. He'll be back later. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but this was this was even worse. Like in real life, it's even worse than that because they were supposed to be college students that moved across the street from Mount Carmel in the middle of fucking nowhere, Texas. Right. <laughs> like it makes no sense. Like literally in the middle of. No- I mean, it's it's not yeah. even in Waco. It's thirteen miles east of Waco in the middle of nowhere. The investigation included sending an undercover agent, Robert Rodriguez, to go into the compound multiple times. David Koresh knew who Robert Rodriguez really was, but he chose not to not to reveal that fact until the end of the until the end of the raid. And we'll get more into Agent Robert Rodriguez in a bit. The gun store that they owned, named the Mag Bag, had been identified by said postal worker as having the suspicious deliveries. The postal worker continued to deliver to Mount Carmel and reported seeing manned observation posts. In ATF agent David Aguilera's affidavit, it states he believed that there were armed members at these observation posts. Like, at all times, there was somebody at Mount Carmel armed watching. The movie, er, I keep saying the movie, the miniseries talks about an informant they had in there. Was that was that real? Did they have an inside informant that left where they got all this information? I didn't see anything saying that they had like an informant inside. 
from what like what we're going to talk about right here i think the only thing that they were going off of was the complaint to the sheriff's department seems pretty light about yeah that yeah happens. the mcclellan county sheriff was notified in may and june of that year of two cases of inert grenades black gunpowder 90 pounds of powdered aluminum metal and 3040 cardboard tubes Furthermore, the sheriff noticed another shipment of 60 AR-15 slash M-16 magazines to which ATF agent David Aguilar made a statement, quote, I have been involved in many cases where defendants following a relatively simple process convert AR-15 semi-automatic rifles to fully automatic rifles of the nature of the M-16. That was to justify his involvement in this case. Another report made to the sheriff in November 1992 by a local farmer who believed he had heard machine gun fire. Quote, it was likely a 50 caliber machine gun in multiple M16s. This farmer claimed that he was very familiar with machine guns, having done tours uh, overseas in the U.S. Army. I think it's well documented on the show that I know nothing about guns, and I've never held a gun in my life. But from what I'm read, from what I've read, is that to get your hands on something that had a 50 caliber is pretty fucking hard. I mean, like that's real fucking hard. That's heavy duty, a 50 caliber machine gun. Like that will liquefy a person. Sure. So I I think that those are enormous was, shells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This farmer was exaggerating, and the ATF rolled with it. Well, that's all I need is that signed eyewitness statement, right? The affidavit closed with Aguilar verifying the story via interviews made with associated parties and gun shops from which the mag bag purchased items. Among these items were over 45 AR-15 upper receivers and 5 M-16 upper receivers, which Aguilar clearly notated, quote, These kits contain all the parts of an M-16 machine gun except for the lower receiver unit, which is the firearm by lawful definition thus just blatantly admitting that neither the noise complaints nor the items ordered were necessarily illegal. You know who else has an upper and lower receiver? <laughs> Dave's wife. <laughs> sometimes you want the upper receiver, sometimes you want the lower receiver. <laughs> sometimes you want the back receiver. You know, it just depends what mood you're in. <laughs> so essentially what they were saying is that these guys were converting AR-15s into fully automatic M16s. But based on the parts that they had proof that they were ordering, it wasn't anything illegal. And from really like basic, like speak to me like I'm five years old kind of language that I read online, was that it was basically something that people that are super into guns call a hellfire trigger, which makes it just fire super fucking loud. That it just, it just, mm. whatever, whatever they do to it, it's not illegal. It's still not illegal to this day, as well, far as I know. It's America. But Nothing's it's, illegal here. <laughs> Do whatever the fuck you want. But it's not just America. It, it's it, Texas. It doesn't make it sound, or it doesn't make it fire any faster. It just makes it sound loud as fuck. Hmm. The Department of Human Services was noted in the affidavit as well. ATF happened to get statements from a department worker who m managed to investigate a case on the Mount Carmel site. This agent, Joyce Sparks, had two separate visits to the grounds where she questioned members of the Branch Davidians and toured the compound. The first involved interviewing a young boy of the compound who, quote, who was in a rush to grow up so he could have a long gun. This issue was not looked into until Sparks' second visit when she was able to speak to David Koresh himself. 
He nonchalantly mentioned that there were only a few guns, but when Sparks asked if it was okay to tour the compound, he requested she wait 30 minutes, and she presumed that that was so he could hide guns so that uh, she was not aware of them and maybe other members Mm. were not aware of them. I mean... You know, to be fair, maybe he just wanted to tidy up and he left a bunch of Bibles laying around the house. Yeah. Just didn't want to appear <laughs> messy. Probably not best to ask the Department of Human Services to wait 30 minutes. Uh, to, probably, uh, probably look, not, look around your house. Probably not a good idea, no. You're off to <laughs> yeah. a bad start right Might there. Might raise some suspicion. Yeah. During this tour was when Sparks looked inside a trap door and noticed a buried bus with a refrigerator at the end. It was obvious that that to her that the refrigerator was used as target practice by the Davidians with bullet holes in it and guns just strewn along the floor of this kind of like makeshift basement thing that they had going on there. Okay, but nothing illegal. That's fine, though. No, it's not illegal. Yeah, it's not illegal. And also noted in the ATF affidavit were allegations of a child bride as young as 12 years old. Now, here's the thing with this this 12-year-old bride thing. There was an ex-member that left the group, and he made a lot of claims to law enforcement about the child bride thing, and it it was rumored twelve years old. That that very well might be true. I don't I, it, not not a bride, but it very well might be true that David Crush was having a an inappropriate relationship with a girl as young as twelve years old. But but the fact of it is is that he married a girl in that compound that was fourteen years old. At the time, it's not anymore. They changed the laws since all this shit went down. But at the time, that was the age of consent in Texas to get married. I was 14 years old. I, I don't love it. I think it's super inappropriate. I don't know what grown man ever would want to marry a 14-year-old child. But David Koresh did it, and it was by the law. And the ATF has no jurisdiction over anything that has to do with children. Nor should it be related as, uh, you know... I don't know, an additional circumstance on any of these search warrant requests. Yeah. It's it's gross. Well sure. Super gross. But it does it doesn't have anything to do with alcohol, tobacco, or firearms. Agree. Yeah. Using this affidavit filed by Aguilera that alleged that the Davidians had violated federal law, the ATF obtained search and arrest warrants for David Koresh and specific followers on weapons charges, citing many of the firearms that they had accumulated. The search warrant commanded a search, quote, on or before February 28th, 1993, in the daytime between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. The ATF made a claim that Koresh was possibly operating a meth lab to establish a drug connection and obtain military assets under the War on Drugs Act. Although the ATF's investigation, quote, focused on firearms violations, not illegal drugs, the ATF requested assistance from the DEA and the DOD quote, citing a drug connection based on, one, a recent delivery to the compound of, quote, chemicals, instruments, and glassware. Two, a written testimony from a former compound's resident alleging, quote, Howell had told him that drug trafficking was a desirable way to raise money. Three, several current residents who, quote, had prior drug involvement. Four, two former residents who were incarcerated for drug trafficking crimes. Five, National Guard's overflights thermal images show, quote, hot spot inside the compound, possibly indicating a methamphetamine laboratory. Ugh. I'm going to just dive, in, dive into this for, for a second. Pontificate, Ian, please. When David Koresh took this 
when when he was doing the whole thing with with George Roden when they were arguing about who can resurrect who from the dead and all that bullshit was going down, George Roden was running a meth lab in this place. Mm. When David Koresh came back and took it over, he found the meth lab and called Sheriff Howell in Waco and said, "Just like good citizen, like like I said, this guy crossed." All the T's dotted, dotted all the I's on everything he did. So he, he called Sheriff Howell and said, hey, this guy was running a meth lab out here. You guys should come out here and, and take care of it because we don't want anything to do with this shit. The sheriff came out. They took care of it. They put it all in evidence, and it was over and done with. But the FBI or the ATF got word of this, and they threw this in the affidavit as an mm. example of something that they could use to get all this military stuff that we're going to talk about, these helicopters, these tanks, and everything else. This was just an excuse to get all this stuff. That's what they there do, There was though. no yeah. drugs happening out here. It's a shame, but I, I think that's probably happens frequently. And just as an aside, that whole war on drugs, I mean, just ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. News alert, people in the United States like to do drugs, so... Let's just uh, leave it at that. War on drugs. When did the war on drugs officially end? Still going. Technically, is it sure, still going? Sure, I think so. Is it? Yeah, war on your own citizens. I just want to smoke some weed. Maybe leave them alone. Outrageous. You want to snort some uh, cocaine out of hookers' assholes. It's okay. L- let them be. I'm not hurting anybody. Or maybe we shouldn't use it as an excuse to play fucking army. and Also true. Go wreck a bunch of people. <clears throat> There's a whole militarization of law enforcement that's going on in this country for the past 30 years. That's uh, it's pretty scary. I I agree, and I think this is like the the example of of how out of control it can get. Yeah, I the uh, story. Yeah, I don't disagree. We like to drink beer, a lot of it. After a long night of drinking and talking crime and conspiracies, there's nothing that wakes us up and gets us ready to start the day better than just brew coffee. With a great selection of roast levels to choose from, you're guaranteed to find one that suits your style. Small batch roasted to highlight the unique features of each coffee bean, Just Brew Coffee caters to both casual and hardcore coffee drinkers alike. Since 2010, Just Brew Coffee has worked tirelessly to perfect the roasting process and technique, which has resulted in seriously delicious, always flavorful, and never bitter tasting coffee. If you're already drinking JBC, raise your mug. If you're not, Raise your standards. Check out their online store at youjustbrew.com and up your coffee game today. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your order of two pounds or more. And remember, they roast, you just brew. Although the original request for assistance was initially approved, the commander of the Special Forces Detachment questioned the request and the ATF obtained only a training site at Fort Hood, Texas from February 25th to February 27th with safety inspections for the training lanes and was given only medical and communications training and equipment. Now, that was regarding the ATF. This meth lab will come up later on as we just talked about the tanks and armed helicopters because the FBI will also use this meth lab claim to get a green light to, to take this thing to the next level. The ATF had planned their raid for Monday March 1st, 1993, with a codename Showtime. The ATF later claimed that the, that the raid was moved up to February 28th, 1993, in response to the Waco Tribune Herald's Sinful Messiah series of articles. Sinful now, Messiah? 
That was Mike's co- another college nickname for Mike. <laughs> he made those uh, those those freshman girls do sin, but he uh, he also made them come to the Lord. It was a condom line we sold in the bookstore, actually, too. Is that right? They gave me a small cut, made about half a million off that. Yeah, sinful Messiah condoms. Coming to Amazon.com slash Necronomapod when that store gets back up and running. Because you can free them of their sin when you're the Messiah. Well, of course you can. You can do anything when you're the Messiah. Sin yourself on this dick, and I will save you. (laughs) Impale yourself for the Lord, if you will. (laughs) Mike 316 says, I will save you from your sins that you will commit on this dick. (laughs) And that's the bottom line. Can I get a hell yeah? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's interesting with this, too, is because this further shows what this was about with the ATF, is that they, they had a, a special, a quote, special agent involved in publicity to come out here and deal with this stuff. So at this time, they were super fucking pissed about this sinful Messiah stuff. They were not happy at all that this was even an issue because this, quote, special agent was supposed to be handling the publicity. And basically what this was, was that they, they had brought in this woman to take some quick pictures of them raiding Mount Carmel and taking out these, quote, abused kids and these guns. And it, this would be like a like a front page thing for the atf like hey look how great we are and forget about kind of us killing vicky weaver or not killing her but setting up the scenario that got vicky weaver killed well and, and not even that it's hey forget the fact that we started that mess but we didn't even kill her the fbi killed her yeah. but we we just want everybody off our back so yeah. we can keep getting our money in 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 this whole bureaucratic bullshit what you said mike hashtag bureaucratic bullshit was going to be the thing for the next four weeks. Did yeah. I say that last week? You did. Yeah, I, I have no <laughs> recollection of that. There's an interesting well, scene in that in that miniseries on Waco where it flashes back to Ruby Ridge because that same FBI HRT team leaders there, and he tells his guys, you know, make sure the the barricades say ATF so that people don't think the the FBI was the ones that fucked this all yeah. up. The yeah. the ATF was in big trouble of losing all their funding. Yeah. They they didn't know if they were going to get shut down over this shit. The shit always rolls downhill. Let's and be it's honest. not going to be the FBI, it's not going to be the Justice yeah. Department. It's going to go down and down and down. Do we need an ATF in this country? I mean, where the fuck did that even come from? ATF. I, I, don't, know. I don't know the history of the ATF actually. Nonsense. Beginning in, in February, on February 1st, ATF agents had three meetings with the Tribune Herald staff regarding a delay in publication of the sinful messiah. The paper was first told by the ATF that the raid would take place on February 22nd, which they changed to March 1st, and then ultimately to an indefinite date. ATF agents felt the newspaper had held off on publication at the request of the ATF for at least three weeks. In a February 24th meeting between Tribune Herald staff and ATF agent Philip Kojanke and two other agents, the ATF could not give the newspaper staff a clear idea of what action was planned or when. The Tribune Herald informed ATF that they were publishing the series, which included an editorial calling for local authorities to act. 
personnel of the Tribune Herald found out about the imminent raid after the first installment of the Sinful Messiah had already appeared on February 27th. Yeah, they're not going to scoop us, motherfuckers. We're going to print the story. Yeah, and here's a quote from Sinful Messiah. If you are a Branch Davidian, Christ lives on a threadbare piece of land 10 miles east of here called Mount Carmel. He has dimples, claims a ninth grade education, married his legal wife when he, she was 14, enjoys a beer now and then, plays a mean guitar, reportedly packs a 9mm Glock, and keeps an arsenal of military assault rifles, and willingly admits that he is a sinner without equal. You know who else played a mean guitar? Who's Ziggy that? Stardust. <laughs> also true. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. That's an accurate way to describe David Koresh, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. He was he did his band shit at bars and stuff to make some money and try to prey off people at the bars. He was a good singer for for a cover band. Plays plays guitar. And we'll get into that guitar playing in a little bit where he tries to combat the the straight up like audio torture <laughs> techniques. <laughs> The ATF attempted to execute their search warrant on Sunday on Sunday morning, February 28, 1993. The local sheriff in audio tapes broadcast after the incident said he was not aware of the raid. Despite being informed by Robert Rodriguez that the Branch Davidians knew the raid was coming, the ATF commander ordered that it go ahead, even though their plan depended on reaching the compound without the Branch Davidians being armed and prepared. Now, if we remember... Just from a little bit ago, Robert Rodriguez was the the uh, undercover ATF agent that went in there and spent a lot of time with the Branch Davidians. And he, yeah, the college he went kid. in there. The college he, kid. Yeah, but he went in there. He knew, like, it, it's depicted very well in the show, and it's very accurate to how it played out in real life. He spent a lot of time there, and he was not convinced that anything anything worth the ATF's time was happening in that in Mount Carmel. He knew that he was told. I mean, David Crush called him out on that day and said, I know who you are. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Go back and tell your people to stop pushing forward with this. And uh, the ATF commander didn't listen to him and went ahead anyways. They already had their mind made up. Yep. And this just kind of goes, this, this, little, this little tidbit just kind of furthers the militarization of law enforcement that's happening in this whole story. While not standard procedure, the ATF agents had their blood type written on their arms or their neck after leaving the staging area before the raid because it was recommended by military to facilitate speedy blood transfusions in case of injury. I've never heard of this before. That's the that's the mindset wild. that they were it's in yeah. going Combat. into this. They're going to war. Combat, yeah. Huh. For nothing. For literally nothing. To go and arrest this guy for some for some A couple alleged guns. guns. Right. It might not even exist in this Any country man. where there's hundreds and hundreds of millions of guns. Well, that's just Texas. I, and, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, keep in mind in the in the timeline too. This this is happening while Randy Weaver's trial is happening. Any advantage of surprise was lost when KWTX TV reporter who had been tipped off about the raid asked for directions from a U.S. Postal Service mail carrier who was coincidentally David Crush's brother-in-law. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, Crush in all fairness, when you have 37 wives, <laughs> true, everybody true. in the city is your brother-in-law. And this was what I was saying earlier, that when this postal service guy that was Koresh's brother-in-law came back, 
he came back at the exact time that Robert Rodriguez was there trying to talk to David Koresh to see what they knew about what was happening. And just shit kind of hit the fan. And that's when Koresh told ATF agent Robert Rodriguez, I know who you are. I know what you guys are going to do. Stop. Go tell your people to stop this. Because we didn't do anything wrong. And according to Robert Rodriguez, he at the time believed that he had fully infiltrated the Branch Davidians and was shocked to find out that Koresh actually knew who he was <laughs> right, this whole time. Right. <laughs> You're real slime, motherfucker. It's like, I'm super undercover agent. 38 they don't years know who old, I am. You're studying biology <laughs> of university 57 miles away. Robert Rodriguez made an excuse to leave the compound and has, as he was leaving, again, he was told by... David Koresh, like, you you have the power to stop this. We didn't do anything wrong. Stop what you guys are going to about to do here. And this Rodriguez guy was put in a tough spot because he, he, he was, was very saying, much put in a tough spot. He was telling everybody, look, there's nothing going on here. And now he's got the, you know, Koresh and everyone saying, you need to stop this. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, his forces are coming in to just raise hell. Is it got, I feel after, really bad for him. Yeah. Was it an impossible situation. Well, and afterwards, the ATF throws him under the bus super fucking hard, and say yep. that he was. Then they say that he was compromised by David yep. Koresh. Yep. Is there any evidence to support maybe he was? I, I don't think he really was. I think he's just a normal human being that didn't see anything unlawfully happening. He was also played and didn't, by and uh, didn't have a and didn't have a hard on to go shoot fix stuff. what they did yeah. before. Yeah, right. Just a, just yeah, just an agent doing his job, yeah. and was sent out to do something and. He gave us thoughts and was, you know, look, I'm not politically I'm not, assassinated I'm, for it. Yeah. And I'm not going to, sh I'm not shitting on all, all law enforcement here, but a lot of these guys clearly had a hard on to go fix what they did to, to Randy Weaver and his family. Well, I think that's part of and it. They, and and, I, and, and I think it gets turned up even a notch here in a little bit when we're going to talk about what happens here and there's a shootout. And then like we talked about last week, when federal agents go down, you know, then it becomes personal to everybody and, shit gets escalated yeah. tenfold so yeah you have the uh, you have the wanting to fix the mistakes of ruby ridge and then you have now these motherfuckers shot some agents so we're out for for blood according to the atf the branch davidians were arming up and they were and they were ready to go but when asked later about what the branch davidians were doing when roger rodriguez left the house he said they were quote praying that they were not arming up they didn't want anything to do with this Branch Davidian survivors have written that Koresh ordered a select few male followers to begin arming and taking up defensive positions while women and children were told to take cover in their rooms. Koresh told them that he would speak to the agents and what happened next would depend on how the agents decided to act. Okay, but that's just that's just not how it works in this country. Like you can't, yeah, that, you can't that, that's take aggressive. that position. Yeah, that's aggressive. Like, if cops come into my house, even if I feel I'm wrong, I can't, you know, you whether I'm going to shoot them or not, can't depend on their up. intentions. Yeah. You can't have me hanging out your window saying, <laughs> no, back, stand down. <laughs> you let them arrest you and you deal with it in court. You can't right. do that. It doesn't yeah, work that way. That's that's David's first yeah. mistake here. Well, that, oh, that's his first mistake? We've talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> he should have resurrected that girl in the casket. Am I right? <laughs> Can you imagine if he would have resurrected all the corpses on their property and then those zombies went after the ATF? We have a whole other story. See? It's a now different a story other... then. That's a valid point, though. You can't just... 
you know, if cops show up at my house and I don't agree with why they're here, it doesn't right. depend on you can't send, how they're acting to me and how I'm how it's going to go. Send me up to your roof and start like posting up on them, saying <laughs> "back down, officer." Yeah, like you, if they're going to arrest you, they they arrest you and you deal with it in court with your attorney later. Of course, this is going to escalate it if you know you take that defensive position immediately. Right, and especially because maybe even some of these agents don't necessarily know, even the ones that aren't out for blood or to regain their reputation, they're out just to do their job. If they see guns, they're immediately going to be on the defensive, and of they're going to you know, do as they're trained to do, as they should. Yeah, 100%. This, it's a bit of an arrogance by Koresh. This is more of that arrogance by him, thinking, you guys post up and I'll, I'll handle this, because we're almost like we're equals to the ATF, and I'll go yeah. talk to them, and... You'll back down, and they'll back down, and we'll all be okay. Your coot got in a desert. Yeah. The ATF arrived at 9.45 a.m. in a convoy of civilian vehicles containing uniformed personnel in SWAT-style tactical gear. ATF agents stated that they heard shots coming from within the compound, while the Branch Davidian survivors claimed that the first shots came from ATF agents outside. A suggested reason may have been an accidental discharge of a weapon, possibly by an ATF agent, causing the ATF to respond from automatic weapons. Now, that is based off of the the news channel, because they had the news there. The ATF, like, core... They asked them to. Yeah, the ATF coordinated this to have the news there <laughs> yeah, ready to right. film this whole thing, because yeah. they're, you know... Because they want to be, be the heroes. heroes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and in the news tape like people have studied it there's you know i don't know anything about guns full disclosure again but in the video there's lots of atf agents i guess holding their guns like jackasses where they have their finger on the trigger when they shouldn't that should be extended until it's ready to go time yep so there's thought that it was an accidental discharge from somebody holding it wrong and being all hyped up uh, other reports claim that the first shots were actually fired by the ATF, quote, dog team that were sent in to kill the Branch Davidians dogs in the kennel. Just immediately, like right off the bat, they were ordered to just, you go up to that kennel and kill all those dogs so they can't be sent loose. Yeah. Either way, it, it, it's pretty unanimous on any investigation into this that the ATF fired the first shot on this compound. Like I, I don't get the resulted. logic behind some of this. Where if they if they're stating they heard shots coming from within the compound, so that causes you to then openly shoot into the building where you know there's a bunch of kids. Like, what's the reasoning there? I I don't think that there were any shots. I mean, my opinion, I don't think there were any shots happening inside that building. I think they were all ordered to just go in there and kill those dogs, and either either the guys killing the dogs or someone holding their gun like an idiot and it misfired, caused them to just go full like D-Day style yeah. on Mount Carmel. And this yeah. is, I think, the firing first... Firing M-16s. This is the first big unknown of the story as to who to blame, you know, for the situation escalating. It's completely don't, unnecessary. You don't know for sure yeah. where the gunfire came from, but either way, it started, and then it just blew up into a full-blown shootout. Like, this guy's... And, and, Koresh is playing, you know, nights out at the local bar, right? They could have picked him up at any time. He's not yeah. hiding. Well, but it didn't help the fact that he had people posted up with guns, you know, when True. these people are rolling up. So then you don't know. Maybe one of his people gets trigger happy, sees his dog get shot, and then just starts opening fire no, on an agent. That's true. And then now we're in a full-blown shootout. We don't know who fired that first shot, and that's the first point of contention in this 51-day 
yep. nonstop escalation. And that and that's the thing that that Robert Rodriguez he says that I've been in there, I didn't see anything. But if you guys really want to go go arrest him, he's jogging every day. Yeah, he right. doesn't he doesn't just hide there. Go grab him at the bar. Go grab him while he's running, and then it's come. It, it, they come back on him from the publicist stand, standpoint, and they're like, "Yeah, so how many times do you see the ATF arresting a guy that's out jogging?" Yeah, right. It's this optics. is all for, all is optics, all for nonsense. Show. Yep. And, you know, we can debate on, like, which ATF person fired the first shot, but it's it's pretty much unanimous as far as any experts are concerned in, in that, that they did fire the first shot. Three helicopters of the Army National Guard were used as aerial distraction and all took incoming fire. During the first shots, Koresh was wounded shot in the hand and in the stomach. Within a minute of the raid, Branch Davidian Wayne Martin called emergency services pleading for them to stop. Here's that uh, pretty intense 911 call. And I think, Ian, you said this was about a 30-minute call that we, we shortened down to about three minutes? Yeah, so, yeah, full disclosure, it's a 30-minute phone call that that I cut into three minutes. I cut it down to the parts where Wayne Martin's actually talking because... For the majority of the remaining 30 minutes of this call is just nothing but automatic gunfire and um, and the sheriff asking if it's Wayne talking or who's talking or what's going on. And it's just a bunch of gunfire in the I mean, background. Which is crazy to begin with. I mean, trying to imagine a 30-minute 911 call during a gunfight. I mean, that's a yeah, long I mean, this lasted, time. Yeah, and this lasted for a total of two hours. Yeah, that's crazy. That is a long yeah. time. With a bunch of women and children inside. Yeah. All right. There's a the call. One, what's your emergency? Nine one one. What's your emergency? There are men, seventy five men around our building. Okay, just, that up. just a moment. Hello. 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 Yeah, this is Lieutenant Lynch. May I help you? Yeah, there are 75 men around our building and they're shooting at us in Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel? Yeah, tell them there are children and women in here and to call it off. All right, all right. Uh, hello? I hear gunfire. Oh, shit. Hello? Who is this? Hello? Call it off! Who is this? Hello? Hello? Hello, this is Lance Sheriff's office. Wayne? Who is this, Wayne? What? Who is this, Wayne? Listen. Let's get this thing resolved, Wayne. We got women and children in danger. Okay, Wayne. Are there weapons in there with you, Wayne? Wayne. I'm under fire. Okay, Wayne. If do you, or do you have weapons in there? Wayne, do you have weapons in there? Talk to me, Wayne, before this thing gets completely out of hand. We have fire. Okay. 
You cease fire? Is that what you said, Wayne? We're under fire! Okay. I'm fixing to get in touch with them, Wayne. We need you to lay your weapons down. Stand by while I make contact with the forces, okay? I have a right to defend myself! They started firing first! Okay, well, let's resolve it. Let's not, let's resolve this, Wayne, before someone gets hurt, okay? I'm trying to make contact with the forces outside. Don't let this line close, okay? Firing up here! Pardon me? They're still attacking! Alright. Another chopper with more people and more guns going off. Here they come. All right. Wayne, tell... More firing. That's not us. That's them. Okay. That, all right. The bomb when they stop firing. All right. I got to get somebody. They want to cease fire. Stand by. St Who's firing now? They are. They are. All right. Stand by. I'm trying to reach them. Stand. Don't return fire, okay? That's crazy. First of all, the sheriff seemed a little befuddled at the beginning of that call. Well, I think he was probably put in a situation that he <laughs> yeah. had no fucking clue was over his head. Man, it's a, it's a small area, so I feel like he was probably like, what the, what the yeah, fuck's what? going on here? What? Is this Wayne? <laughs> that was, I mean, that was pretty terrifying to listen to. You imagine being in there? Fuck no. no it's no. nuts. And you got women and children who you're trying to protect. Mm. Well, and here's the thing about the, the sheriff, like Sheriff Hartwell and stuff, like he's come out afterwards and multiple times and was like, the Branch Davidians were good people. They didn't bother us. They kept, they minded their own business and they weren't an issue for anybody here. So this was like a complete surprise to everybody. So like when these, this small town in Texas is getting these phone calls of the ATF just unloading fucking M16s mm -hmm. on this place. It's like, wait, what the fuck is even happening right now? Well, and they did not consult with the sheriff at all before they did this raid. No. Mm -mm. I, I, I know on that call you can hear Steve Snyder, which we're going to get into him a lot. He's kind of David's right-hand man. We'll, we'll get into him. Well, he's a cuck who let Dave bang his wife. And Well, they're all yeah. cucks, Dave. They're all cucks. <laughs> I've proven that. <laughs> Everyone's a cuck besides Mike. Well, I think that's the the thing about this situation that makes me feel like watching a documentary, watching the show on Netflix, reading about it, doing anything is it, it makes it personally makes me feel very panicky trying to put myself in that situation because it's like, what do you do at that point in time? Because your government, your law enforcement, those are the people that you're supposed to call when something really, really bad is happening. In at that point, who do you call? Right. When your government or your or your law enforcement that's supposed to protect you are the ones that are shooting at you first. Yeah. And shooting at you in that capacity. Like what what are you supposed to do in that situation? And if you're in that situation and then you're on the phone with your local sheriff. What the fuck is he supposed to do at this point? Nothing. Like I, he might be your own own only saving grace, but what is he going to do when you have, you know, hellfire being rained upon you by the United yeah. States government? He's not going to do anything. But it's but it's also on David Koresh because David Koresh told people to get in armed positions. Mm -hmm. Oh, there David Koresh no, is a hundred percent not innocent here. You know, with no, the way yeah. he handled a lot of things. Maybe some of the everyone else in the building is, but David Koresh is not. Well, he should have walked outside and laid on the ground and put his hands and interlocked his fingers behind his head. 
That's, well, he, none he of gonna, this would have happened. But Dave, he was going to convince them. <laughs> While he had his his guys manning up, yeah, you know, well, taking sure, taking aim. The first ATF casualty was an agent who had made it to the west side of the building before he was wounded. Agents quickly took cover and fired at the buildings while the helicopters began their diversion and swept in low over the complex, 350 feet away from the building. That's fucking super low for a helicopter. A little bit, yeah. The Branch Davidians fired on the helicopters and hit them without injuring the crew, and the helicopters immediately stopped the mission and landed. (laughs) Yeah, fuck this. We're out. (laughs) On the east side of the compound, agents brought out two ladders and set them up against the side of the building. Agents then climbed onto the roof with the objective of securing it to reach Koresh's room and the gun storage room. On the west slope of the building, three agents reached Koresh's window and were crouching beside it when they came under fire. One so agent did was they, killed. Ian, did they have like a, a blueprint or outline of the house based? One, did they, they have tr- a blueprint or an outline? And was it from Rodriguez when he was in the compound? Like, how did they know so, where everything was based on their attack? So they tried. They had, they had one outline that was from, from a former member that was kicked out of the Branch Davidian. So this guy's claims are very suspect because he was really salty about being kicked out. Mm. And then the other one is Save that Rodriguez, which Rodriguez said, I didn't find anything. And he was up there looking around too. So he right. could, he he said, could tell I didn't them, find it. He could tell them where their rooms were and like where uh, Koresh's room was and where like the, the women stayed and the men stayed. But that was about it. Right. He was like, I didn't see a gun room. Right. I just didn't see it. So I, I don't think that. But meanwhile, they were trying to secure to get into Koresh's room in the, the quote, gun storage room. And they had no fucking but, uh, idea, one, if that existed, and two, where it was. was. I think, I mean, they had a solid idea that it existed. I think it was clear to everybody that it existed somewhere in that compound. But nobody knew where it was. Okay. When they were crouching outside Koresh's window, the ATF agents came under fire. One agent was killed, another was wounded. A third agent scrambled over the peak of the roof and joined other agents attempting to enter the arms room, which they claimed was the arms room. The window was smashed, a flashbang stun grenade was thrown in, and three agents entered the room. When another tried to follow them, a hail of bullets penetrated the wall and wounded him, but he was able to reach a ladder and slide to safety. I mean, you can see that all in the video. Then there's The video's out there of all this shit going down. Mm. It's, it's pretty fucking intense. An agent fired with his shotgun at the Branch Davidians until he was hit in the head by a return fire and killed. Inside the gun room, the agents killed a Branch Davidian and discovered a cache of weapons, but then came under heavy fire. Two were wounded. As they escaped, the third agent laid down, covering fire, killing a Branch Davidian. As he made his escape, he hit his head on a wooden support beam and fell off the roof, but survived. God damn, watch out for those beams. (laughs) So was it an actual gun room? Did they find a, a bunch of guns? Uh, what is a cache know. of weapons? Was it like, you know, three AR-15s or was it a closet full of AK-47s? What was it? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think it was the the mother load of guns that the Branch Davidians had because the Branch Davidians 100% had a fuck ton of weapons that yeah, would definitely uh count as a as a stockpile of weapons. But not necessarily illegal. 
that and that's where you get into is like what what is illegal with guns yeah like how many ak-47s are you allowed Mm -hmm. to have before it's considered a stockpile i don't know in my mind you should maybe just have like kind of maybe if you want to collect guns maybe like just one of each of them (laughs) maybe but it's america Land of the I mean, free and the home of the, the guns. Rules. I don't Let's know not go the down rules. any roads. We're going to uh, lose some <laughs> Look, listeners here. People love guns, man. They they love guns. Some people love I'm lasagna, judge, I'm not, I'm not lasagna and french I fries. And that's just how it is. Oh, I'm judging, I, baby. I just don't know the rules of, yeah, of what, sure, sure. What, 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 what is the difference between a stockpile and a collection. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a fine line. Well, I think it depends who you're asking and probably too. I think that's probably I think the ATF could could probably just look at any of us and be like, you have a stockpile of guns. Yeah. Like, motherfucker, I don't have any guns. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> and then they're you know what I'm going to say about the gu- front window. I think the federal government, if they wanted to fuck with anybody, they could find something illegal that you did, and they could make your life a living hell. That's absolutely right. Well, of not course. Dave, though. He's a saint. Well, I go to church every Sunday, and I right. pay my taxes. If that's your definition of a saint, <laughs> then yes, I'm a saint. <laughs> exactly. If they, if the federal government wanted to make your life a living hell, they 100% could. No I matter don't, who you I, are in this country. I don't country. disagree with that. Of course. This is not an anti-federal government episode for the I, record. I think it is. We're just telling the story as we know it to be told and as the facts present themselves. <laughs> We're breaking my golden rule on this show. Which is? No politics. Yeah, that golden rule well, is gone. No, that's yeah, not it, true. It, that's it not last true. Week. No, I disagree. I disagree. I think we still keep ourselves to a pretty good standard of no politics. Right. We we touch on subjects where we have to give our opinions and our thoughts, and we do so respectfully, and then we move on. I don't think we've I don't think we've necessarily broken any lines. Okay, if you say so, I'm going to say so. I crossed the line into a little like, bit of gun control talk last week, but I'm okay well, with that. But I don't know if you went extreme with anything. I don't know. I I, I don't think you did, Dave. Dozens of ATF agents took cover many behind branch davidian vehicles in exchange fire with the branch davidians the number of atf wounded increased and an agent was killed by gunfire from the compound as agents were firing at branch davidians perched on top of a water tower the exchange of fire continued but 45 minutes into the raid the gunfire began to slow down as agents began to run low on ammunition the shooting continued for a total of two hours that's a long time, man. Sheriff Lieutenant Lynch of the McClellan County Sheriff's Department contacted the ATF and negotiated a ceasefire. Sheriff Hotwell, on the other hand, states that ATF agents withdrew only after they were out of ammunition. ATF agent Chuck Hushmeyer wrote, quote, About 45 minutes into the shootout, the volume of gunfire finally started to slacken. We were running out of ammunition. The Davidians, however, had plenty. Well, they planned ahead. And this is an <laughs> argument that I, I think it's not I, it's not great to brag about, I guess would be the first thing that popped into my head. But it, it could be a thing a point towards the branch Davidians in this in this scenario is that the amount of weapons that they had in that compound and what they could have done from experts, things that I've read and, and different stuff. That could have been like a D-Day if they wanted it to be. That they could have killed every single one of those ATF agents out there. Really? And they could have just mowed them down 100% and just killed every single one of them. But they didn't. 
With what? That's what the, additional? I mean, that leads me to believe that fifty caliber story might have been true. Like if, then. It, like if they armed every single person in that building, mm. in that compound, with a gun, because they did. They one hundred percent had a stockpile of weapons. That that's not really debated on. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a lot of weapons, and I don't. I don't want to say that that's like bragging or saying that they did right or that it showed restraint. Or that it, I don't, I don't know what it shows, but that's that's what I've read out there mm. that they could they could have killed every single person out there, and they decided not to take that for what it is, I guess. In all, four ATF agents: Steve Willis, Robert Williams, Todd McKeon, and Conway Charles LeBlue had been killed during the firefight. Another sixteen had been injured. After the ceasefire, the Branch Davidians allowed the ATF to take their dead and wounded to be evacuated and held fire during the ATF retreat. This was a straight-up defeat. The ATF rolled out there to do what they thought was going to be a quick 20-minute raid, and they ended up in a firefight that ended up in in their guys getting killed, and they walked away in in just straight-up retreat. Even though they were warned... By Rodriguez, that the Branch Davidians were expecting them. They know you're coming. Don't do this. He said they were praying when he left. Yeah. Doesn't sound like they were arming for an assault. But when they started shooting into the compound, maybe that's when they, you know, started arming themselves. But didn't we say that? We, I mean, we had already said that uh, Koresh ordered the women to go hide, and he he set guys up, armed up, to man some posts. I guess it's a timing issue, is it not? But it's still the federal government coming out. It's yeah. law enforcement no, coming I mean, towards you. Like you sure. said earlier. I mean, sure. we had this argument. Sure. That's not necessarily probably the best way to go about no, this. No, it's definitely not the right way because you're not going to win. When you, when, yeah. you, when you learn about David Koresh, it's hard to side with him and his people on any of this because he's a scumbag. He's a cult leader. I mean, that's what he is. It's he's called, banging kids. Right. And he's... You know, he's under manipulating law, everybody. But yeah, he's been under Texas law. But well, he's manipulating well, people. You can say that, but like if Ohio law said you could bang seven year olds, would you bang seven year olds? Of course. No, I'm, of course I'm not, not. I'm not saying I'm not I, saying he's not a scumbag. <laughs> I, I, I know what you're saying, but I'm just saying, just you know, it's just it's just like the it's the black and white thing of the what the ATF did. Yeah, sure. And and that's absolutely right. It's a complicated the ATF story. Was looking for, for sure. a win, and they wanted to go make this big hero story. And it fucking blew up in their faces, and it becomes this. And then it gets even worse from here. The five Branch Davidians killed in the raid were Winston Blake, Peter Gent, Peter Hipsman, Perry Jones, and Jadine Wendell. Two were killed at the hands of the Branch Davidians after being wounded and basically saying they wanted to be put out of their misery. Their bodies were eventually buried on the grounds. Nearly six hours after the 11.30 a.m. ceasefire, Branch Davidian member Michael Schroeder was shot dead by ATF agents who alleged he fired a pistol at agents as he attempted to re-enter the compound with, to be with his wife and child. Now, this is, a, this is another part of the story that's like super, super gray because it, it just depends on who's telling the story here. He was trying I mean, to sneak back in, be with his family. Well, wait, how did right. he... How was he outside the compound and even got close to getting back in? So the the thing was with him is that he was out doing the whole mag bag gun show shit, selling some guns, and then 
he came back and wanted to be with, you know, he was just driving back to the compound and was turned away. And supposedly, I mean, if you go off the ATF, he was sneaking back in after he was told that the road was closed and he fired a shot at them and they killed him. If you go off the Branch Davidian story of it, he was sneaking back in. They saw him and they just opened fire on him and just killed him. It's just another one of those parts of who escalated the situation from like the initial who fired first to this to what we'll get into next part with, you know you know, some fire starting. Yeah. And, and next week we're going to get into, you know, after this, the FBI has to get back involved with it, just like they did with Ruby Ridge. Well, now you and got federal agents dead. That's what happened. You, sure. You, you've got, you've got multiple guys dead. You've got a compound of people that are locked down thinking that their Messiah has instructed them to be in that place. And man, next week we're just, we're, we're going to see, how ugly all this can get. That's to say the least. Yeah. So yeah, next week we'll get into uh, the FBI is involved. We just built like blue balls and everybody who's listening to this episode, I feel (laughs) like. This is a crazy ass story, man. Have the cult, has the cult ever been the victim in our stories? Mm. And are we building to a story where the cult is the victim? Not necessarily. It's all perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's how you you decide to view it. You but I have, think they could have left the house at any time. I think a good quote from from all this, and I'm just gonna skip way ahead to next week. Goddamn, pal! Spoilers. But, <laughs> quote: History will record. I believe that these assaults on Mount Carmel Church Center remain the greatest domestic law enforcement tragedy in the mm. history of the United States. And I think that's very accurate. And that's I a think bold that statement. That's a good cliffhanger, man. I think we're going to save. Yeah. That's (laughs) goddamn pally. (laughs) I'll save my thoughts for the end. Spoiler alert. I think Santa Bill did it. So. (laughs) Goddamn. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, John Bonnet Ramsey available in the archives. (laughs) (laughs) It couldn't be an archive or an episode without an archive reference. There it is. So that's where we uh, draw the line here. Part one. Ian, you got anything else for this first part? Don't give us any more for part two. Make people come nah. back. Other than I thought we would get it done in two part or in one part, and that just that just yeah, I don't think so. Man. Well, <laughs> too too much of a story to tell here. Ian doesn't make mistakes often, but this one he did. Yeah. Was there any? Which what other shows have we done? Was there another? There was one more where we got halfway through and we we're like, "Fuck this! This is two parts." I can't remember what it was. I don't know. Yeah, I don't doesn't matter. It's like one of those things, I don't know, what yeah, you, you, like you, you overcompensate or you think you're uh, whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get this done in one part. And well, and you did. I mean, you gave us the notes for it. It's just a matter of the conversation and how it goes. Well, that, yeah, well, this one, it wasn't, it wasn't hard for me to just go ahead and write like 18, 19 pages on Waco. I was super interested in this. So Absolutely for those spoiler for those you listening, Dave and I had to read 19 pages on Waco. <laughs> we had fucking homework from Ian <laughs> taking notes over here. Dave, you got anything else you want to add to this or to gun control or to politics in general? No, or? sir. I've had my say. You know, <laughs> I think you guys know where I stand. Dave, what are your thoughts on religion? <laughs> You've never told us about that. Dave's new podcast, The Religion <laughs> and Gun Control Hour. <laughs> All right. Um, Whew, it's been a big month for Patreon. 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 Oh, the Patreon? old Patreon. What? The old Patreon. Well, first of all, if you were a, sus- a sus- 
subscriber to the ten dollar i'm fucking drunk if you're a subscriber to the ten dollar <laughs> tier level of patreon you heard this episode two days earlier than everyone else and ad free if you are not yet a subscriber of the ten dollar level of patreon what are you waiting for patreon.com slash necronomapod uh one correction from last week uh a name uh that i just probably fucking book butchered uh chris van benthuizen Hope I said that right. <laughs> Apologies to you. I think I messed up your name last time. So, uh, Chris Van Benthuizen, uh, thank you very much. Let me pull up the other 177,000 names that have uh, subscribed this past week. Dave just sent me a new one. What was that guy's name? Ben Your Thighs In? He'll Ben Your Thighs In. Oh. <laughs> uh, Uziel Garcia, thank you very much. And then also thank you much to Erica Bernstein. Lily, Gabby Vasquez, John Kay, Autumn Pedroli, Megan Morris, Rob, Tim Pigeon, Courtney, Sunday Austin, Rylan Oliver, Claudia Schneider, Tiffany Canfield, Jesse Dakota, Sarah, Robbie Swedish, Amy Gill, Gabriel, Desiree Martinez, Brittany Vidal, Jimmy, B. Leonard, H.G. Gillum, Ricky, Connie McCall, Keely Gaither, Austin Gentry, Becca Marie, Stephanie Self, Joshua Monroe, Kay Whitaker, Valerie Walker, Maris, and Taylor Barlow. Thank you guys very much for signing up for Patreon. Again, as of May, we have the new $10 tier for early release on all of our Sunday episodes. They are also ad-free. We have a once-a-month video uh, Necronomapod happy hour where you get to chat with at least some of us. We might not all be there every month, but you will get to at least chat with some of us through a video uh, happy hour. We'll have some drinks with you guys. You also get Necronomapod sticker and you will get Necronomapod wallpapers available for your smartphone devices. That's at the $10 t- uh, tier. We also have the $5 tier available and the $1 tier available. Thank you guys so much. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Jelliot0120 and Spielberg8. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, what do you got? Shoutouts. Instagram, Carly Miller, Shannon Martinez. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yes, love it. All right. Uh, We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I guess YouTube if you want to read that content. Uh, Also, CastBox. Thank you very much. We appreciate all that. We got a lot of negative comments on there also. So, you know, fuck you YouTube, guys. YouTube's about to have some hot takes on this episode. Yeah, probably. But they always do. <laughs> on the, you know, whatever. Fuck them. Anyways, thank you very much. We'll see you guys next week. All right. You guys ready for a cold on beer? Cheers. <laughs>